Thanks for joining us for today's sermon. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working in your life. If the messages of this church have touched you in some way, please share that with us by clicking on the contact tab at lifesc.org to send us an email. And if you would like to give to this ministry, you can do so online to help us bring messages just like this one to you each week. It is our prayer that God blesses you through this message today. Today's sermon is the joy of the Lord. Everybody talks about happy, happy, joy, joy. You know, you've ever heard that? It's just like, oh, happy, happy, joy, joy. I got an accident. Oh, and it's kind of cynical, you know, kind of a little bit sarcastic. But happy, happy is not what God came to give to the church. But he did because of his joy, bring joy to the church. Amen. So we're going to go ahead and cross out happy, happy today. And in this series, and we're going to talk about joy. It's deeper. When you say happy, it's on the tip of your tongue. When you say joy, it comes from inside you. And that's where your joy is supposed to come from. Amen. Let's seek the Lord for a second. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to just be excited about your presence. And we ask you to help us, give us laughter, give us joy, give us a time of lifting of spirits. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. You may be seated in the house of the Lord. The preacher was uh, digging in his attic one time and he climbed up that little ladder you know the one you open the door and you pull down and then you climb up and it looks like it feels like it's going to break with every step that you climb it's creaking and it's rattling and you're like lord i hope this is rated for my weight and uh he got up into the attic and he saw this basket sitting in an old chair and there were five eggs sitting in the basket and there was an envelope with five thousand dollars in it and he goes that's weird so he brings the basket with everything in it downstairs and he puts it on the kitchen counter. And when his wife comes home, he says, honey, I was cleaning out the attic and I found this really weird basket with five eggs and an envelope with $5,000. He goes, what does it even mean? What, what is this for? And she goes, oh, hon, I, every time you preached a bad sermon over the last 20 years, I would put an egg in the basket. And he's like, <laughs> All right, 20 years of ministry. I only preached five bad sermons. That's not a bad record. He goes, well, what's the envelope of $5,000 for? And she said, well, every time I got a dozen, I would sell them. <laughs> the ego can be so treacherous at times, can't it? We were talking about that this morning in Spirit Life, and Reese did such a fantastic job. Thank you, Brother Reese, for helping us in Spirit Life. 10 o'clock is a good time to be at the house of the Lord. Amen. But joy comes from inside. Actually, the Bible says it's a fruit of the Spirit. And joy can be stifled. Joy can be, if the Spirit can be quenched, so can joy. So we have to understand that we have to give freedom to the Spirit of God in our life and live in liberty of that Spirit and live full of the Holy Spirit in order to live full of joy. Does that make sense, everybody? So, when the Lord says through David's pen, serve the Lord with gladness, he's saying that there should be a joy in your life to come into the house of the Lord. In fact, David said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. He wasn't at the house of the Lord yet. He was just glad that they said, let's go to the house of the Lord. Amen. I want to be so excited about serving the Lord that when we come together in this place, that there is a gladness in my heart of knowing that I'm going to the house of the Lord on the day of the Lord. Amen? And so 
David somehow taps into this joy of the Lord very early in his writings. In Psalms 19 and 8, it says, the precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. Amen? So I know that whenever we deal with the precepts of the Lord, we, we, we realize that it gives us nourishment and the commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. It's very beautiful, all of the things that he said, but what I want to illustrate for you today with this little kiddie pool that I have here is what joy does in our life and how we actually walk through different stages of living out the joy of the Lord. Because when we first come to the Lord, we think of going to the house of the Lord, like David said. I was glad when they said, let us go into the house of the Lord. We think of going to the house of the Lord and getting encouraged. Come on in, Seth. He's going to help me out. Getting encouraged of the Lord and getting filled up, amen, with the Spirit of the Lord. And then we go out into our day, out into our week, and we slowly use that up. And so like the scripture says that we're all a vessel. Everybody say a vessel. Seth is going to hold this vessel. And this pool represents the presence of the Lord. When we come into the house of God, we enter into the present. There's something about community, amen? There's something about all of us coming together where two or three are gathered in his name. There he is in the midst of them. I know that's a conflict revolution, resolution scripture, but it's still true. When we come in and praise him as two or three, God shows up, amen? Just like he just did a minute ago. And so when you step into the presence of the Lord, we're going to say this pool right here is the presence, the manifest presence of the Lord. Now, the Lord is with us always, amen? He never leaves us and never forsakes us. But when God manifests himself, your feelings notice it. You, can, you get that goosebump machine going. You know what I'm talking about? When you feel God is in the room. You feel a wind of God blow into a room. And you're like, the Lord, I just felt it just now. I know what I'm, I know what I'm speaking of because I can feel God anointing what I'm saying as a preacher. And so what I did, what I just felt was me stepping in to the presence of God. So this is the presence of God. This is the manifest presence of God though, okay? Now Seth is really feeling it. He's feeling God. He, he wants to lift his hands. He wants to worship. He doesn't know what he wants to do. He wants to do like David, shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Amen? Yes, very good. Very good. Everybody give him a big hand. He's doing a great job. And so he's used up his joy for the week. And this is what you first start to think of when you're first saved. When you first come to God is that I'm carrying my vessel and I go to the church and the preacher preaches and there's things that are given to me. And man, it, it really fills me up for the week. I feel so good when I leave the house of the Lord. My joy is full. Now that water is going to represent joy today. He's in the presence of the Lord, manifest presence of the Lord. He's feeling God, and now God fills him up with the joy of the Lord. Amen? Amen. So now he's going to drink some of that. Oh, that's good. That's real good. You know why that's good? Because God made it. It's a joke in my house. But what happens is God doesn't want you just to live on your feelings. God wants you to live trusting him that he's there even when you don't feel him. Is God working for you when you feel all those goosebumps and when you feel everything happening in service? Yes, he is. Is God there when you feel nothing? Yes, he absolutely is. His promises didn't change whether you feel him or not. In fact, the Bible wants us to go beyond our feelings and trust the Lord and serve the Lord with gladness even when it's not a glad moment. I decided to preach on joy this week, and we had flooding in the, in the church. I got sick. It wasn't a good week, okay? 
And I'm like, I'm going to preach on joy. How I could either go, God is still good, and there's still joy of the Lord to be had in a difficult moment, or it's not true at all. And there is no joy of the Lord to be had. And when you go through the hard trials, you just have to trust somehow God's going to get you through it. But there are moments whenever you will be in the roughest moment of your life and God will show up and you'll be having need for joy and you'll be drinking at that cup of joy and God will just start pouring in more. Uh, uh oh. God will just start pouring in more joy because David said, my cup overfloweth. In other words, what he said is, God will not let my cup deplenish itself to where I'm dry, living without him. In other words, when you begin to spend time in prayer in the morning or in devotion or going into your word and getting something from God every day and saying, God, I want to have that place with you. I want to have that time with you. You don't ever have to worry about having to fill your cup because as you need drink from the Lord, he continues to fill the cup. And then pretty soon what happens is you recognize you don't need to live on your capacity anymore on what you could keep and what you can hold but after a while once you get a taste of being in the presence of almighty God you'll start drinking right from the well you'll start drinking right from the source you'll start getting it straight from God then you never have a shortage you never live in a moment of, re of releasing everything to God it's, it's so beautiful you'll never live in a moment of scarcity and look at what happens Everything changed about him. Not only is he full of the Holy Ghost and joy of the Lord, but his appearance changed. What he's wearing changed. His heart is covered with joy. Now he's coming from a place and he's coming from thoughts and his emotions are from different perceptions that God is working for him and not against him. And his heart and his emotions get more healthy because he has joy in his life. He has the Holy Ghost in him and it gets down into his pockets and now he becomes a joyful giver, amen? Not just his money, but his time and his life and his talents and his gifts. Everything he wants to give back because when you spend time in the presence of the Lord, everything about you changes. And the world can see it. The world can see it. Thank you, Seth. Give Seth a big hand for getting soaked today. I'm so proud of my boy. Thank you so much for letting me just drench you today. Now you got to hurry back to the, to the sound booth because i got to have some scriptures. <laughs> I started preaching and realized that if I go through this list of psalms, he's not back there, so that's not going to work. <laughs> oh, the joys of planting a church. But living in the source, not living on what you can contain, that's what I want to get to. That, that, that first step of living for God is coming, filling up, and then going about your day. And, okay, I need a little joy. I'm not feeling great. I need a little bit more of God. It's where you, you're actually sprinkling God over top of your life. And instead, what he wants to do is he wants to saturate you where you don't ever step out, where you're praying without ceasing and you're in the presence of God at all times. doesn't mean you feel him all the time, but it means that every moment you're like, hallelujah, I surrender this moment. I give you my job. I give you my career. I give you my outcomes. I don't have to control things because sometimes what happens is we, we sabotage our joy because we're trying to control things. And control is a kissing cousin to distrust. And when you try to control everything, you're actually distrusting God to control it. You're saying, I can do a better job of this, and so I want to take it and control it because of my own comfort needs. 
instead of surrendering it to God and saying, Lord, I trust you with it. I'm going to still do my best. I don't go to my job to work for my boss. He does sign my check, but I work and labor unto the Lord. Amen. Scripture tells us that. And so you have to understand that you should be the employee that they say they're the best employee on the job. They're the one that works the hardest. They're the one that gets it done. They're always coming in and staying focused. That should be the report that comes back. That should be our effort as unto the Lord. We don't labor to be rich, brothers and sisters, but we labor in the joy of the Lord, keeping our focus on the fact that what we do, what our hands find to do, we do it unto the Lord with all of our might. The Bible says whatever your hands find to do, do it heartily as unto the Lord. Amen. And so there's joy, whether it's a difficult task or not, there can be joy in it, whether it's a hard moment, whether it's a transition of a career, whether, whether it's a transition of ownership or transition of a, of a C-level leadership, whatever it is, you can have joy even in the hardest of moments. You might be going through an entire changeover or, or some sort of software infrastructure change. You can have joy even in the lesson, even in the learning curve, even in college, even, oh my goodness, I could preach, even in high school when you're misunderstood and you're living on scrolling and social media and it seems like all your friends are online and, and whenever you get unfriended it feels horrible but you can even live whenever the social media seems to take over our world and then there's other things that, that seem to be pressures in our life nowadays that I don't even understand because the older I get the more college students look like 12 year olds but even the pressures I cannot understand as a 44-year-old man, God knows what they are. And if you do all of your life as unto the Lord, you surrender yourself to the greatest joy, the greatest hope, the greatest love that could ever be, for in him is the fullness of joy. Amen? So when you put it in him, when you surrender it into him, he gives back joy unspeakable and full of glory. Amen? My grandmother used to sing it. She'd get up here and sing it nearly once a month. She would sing that song, Joy Unspeakable and Full of Glory. Yeah, not half of you don't even know this song, and that's okay. It's an old song, but they lived on that. They loved the Lord with those songs. Regular, regular people just living a regular life, doing everything they could to live on the precepts of the Lord. Psalms 20 and 5 says, May we shout for joy over your victory and lift up our banners in the name of our God. May the Lord grant all of our requests. Psalms 21 and 1. It's all throughout Scripture. He says, The king rejoices in your strength. Lord, how great is the joy in the victories you give. Psalms 27 and 6. Then my head will be exalted above, my, above the enemies who surround me. And his sacred text, I will sacrifice. And his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. Or at his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. David was like, my songs come from worship. Psalms 35, 27. May those who delight in the vindication in thy, in, I can't even read because my, unfortunately my eyes are not working, um, running on context. Please forgive me. May those who delight in my vindication shout for joy and gladness. May they always say the Lord be exalted who delights in the well-being of his servants. He delights in the well-being of you. It's kind of interesting to me that we see different places in scripture where the Lord delights in our well-being. And what happens is when we begin to delight in the joy of the Lord, 
it spills out over us like I saw just well like we saw just a minute ago. It spills into every area of our life. I have people in a, that come to work and they're not very happy sometimes and I can tell, I can see it on them. And I try to talk with them and encourage them because I can't help myself but spill out on others if I'm walking in the joy of the Lord. I, I can't help it. That doesn't mean I have all good days, but I'm released from the feeling of feeling joyous. The worst thing you can do to try to get more joy is to focus on joy. I want to be more joyful, joyful. I need more, more joyful. My grandparents never tried to get more happy by asking themselves if they were happy. I know that's the thing that everybody does now. Am I happy? Or they, they leave jobs, they leave relationships, they leave all kinds of things behind because I'm just not happy. And there are, there's some situations where there's, uh, you know, biomedical issues where there's certain kinds of chemicals in the body that are not releasing from the brain and they're suffering from different things, depression and things like that, and they need some help outside of their physical being. And you can just tell them, hey, be happy. Hey, have some joy, you know, and it, that doesn't work. You can't, you can't get happier by asking. In fact, that's the worst way to get happy is ask myself if I'm happy. My grandparents never looked at each other and asked themselves if they're happy with each other's relationship. They were married and committed to each other. They were going to have happy moments and not so happy moments, joyous moments and not so joyous moments. But they never asked themselves, am I happy? Do I need to base a decision off of my feelings? My feelings are not worth basing my decision off of. And so therefore, it's really important that we understand that feelings of joy can come and go, but the Spirit of the Lord can give you joy when you're on the Isle of Patmos, John the Baptist, and you can get in the Spirit on the Lord's day. You can be in a lion's den, Daniel, and have joy of the Lord with you. You can be in the fiery furnace, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and have the Lord's presence with you where the joy is. Amen? So, of course, we see different illustrations of this in 2 Corinthians 9 and 7. You must each decide in your heart how much to give and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. When someone asks you to give, either whether it's in church or not, listen to me carefully because I'm going to talk about money for just a second, but don't check out. When someone asks you to give to something, the Bible says don't give reluctantly, but also don't be guilted into giving. If you ever feel like you're being guilted into giving to the Lord, that's the wrong motivation to give. If you are giving reluctantly, that's the wrong time to give. The Bible tells us clearly that for God loves the person who gives cheerfully. Actually, one translation translates cheerful as hilarious giver. God loves hilarious. They're taking the offering. I just, I just love it. <laughs> I'm gonna give it to you. That's that's the picture. That is the picture of scripture right here. That you're literally supposed to fall or fall out in laughter or or just laugh yourself hilariously about giving unto the Lord. And the Bible promises that He'll give it back, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Amen. That running over shows up again and again throughout Scripture. He's promised to be an overflow God. How many know him to be an overflow God in your life? Let's give him some praise for that. 
And that's what God wants us to be. God wants us to not only in the moments that are exciting and happy, he wants us to give and be excited and joyful when we give. Not under pressure. Not in a response to pressure. And not reluctantly. But give with freedom, knowing that God's going to bless you. I know that sometimes there are moments where God does some funny things in church. Have you, ever been, have you ever been in church when some funny things happen? The funniest stuff to me happens in a church service, and I've been going to church all my life. We had an evangelist come one time, and it was back whenever you had those overheads, you know, and you put a slide up, and it would shoot the overhead on the back wall on the screen, and we were in a small church. So, like, the platform was, like, where the platform starts here. It went to about right here. And that was just wall, okay? But we had put the screen, and we put it on an angle so you could pull it down at an angle and hook it on a screw on the back wall. So they were putting, when we sang the songs, they put the hymns up, and it would project on the screen. We were high tech, okay? We had a screen. And... The evangelist got excited. He's like, isn't it great that God does great things in church? And when he did that, he caught the screen and released it, and it slammed into its housing. And it was like, kaboom! And everybody's like, what just happened? And it was like the presence of the Lord had just showed up, and people fell out, and someone had a heart attack, and we prayed them back through. They were dead and came back to life. There's the hilarious stuff that happens in church. There's hilarious stuff that happens in your walk with God. I was, we were in the apartment building where we lived in Brookfield here. We lived for several years there while we were trying to find a house in Brookfield. And I was sitting in my car, and I'm like thinking about spiritual warfare. Amen? And now there's, there's people that get really wacko in spiritual warfare. I'm, I'm just a normal guy with normal feelings thinking, I'm just going to pray that God sends angels to warfare. And I'm sitting there, and I'm listening to a sermon, and I'm having some prayer time. And all of a sudden, I feel the pressure of my car and this explosion. And it goes, it goes, boom, like that. And I, I'm like, a demon has landed on top of my car. I am getting out and summoning Michael the Archangel. This is spiritual warfare. And I'm excited. I'm like, I have stepped into the spirit world. This is the first time I've ever, there's an angel. There's a warfare. And so I get out of my car expecting to see my car collapsed on top and, and some big, you know, demonic presence and then angels fighting. And I'm like, this is going to be amazing. I've never experienced this before. I've never even seen an angel. This is going to be amazing. And I get out and I'm looking. There's nothing wrong with my car. And so I get back in and I'm like, I literally felt the pressure in the car change. That's how big of an explosion it was. Like, boom. And I'm like, what in the world did I just experience? And so then I'm going about my day, and the next week I open the trunk, and the whole trunk is just demolished. And the spare tire had gotten water on it and rotted and blew up in my prayer time. Y'all know the Holy Ghost was coming down real strong right after that explosion. I thought there was spiritual warfare going on. And Jesus just laughs. He's <laughs> like, I did that just for you. So you didn't get all spiritually minded and be no earthly good. Sometimes it just reminds me that, you know, we, we can think that God can be so much and, and so big and so awesome. And he just wants to whisper to us in a still, small voice. He just wants to sit down next to us and say, I'm right here. And I have everything you need. And so 
whenever we have a full church or we have less church or I have to trust God and keep my joy full regardless. I have to live a joyful life regardless of what I'm going through. Reminds me of the preacher who was preaching to farmers. You know how farmers are. They're very practical because they have to be. They live in reality. They don't live in a fictitious world online. Amen, somebody. But they live in the reality. And so by the time the morning service had started, there was only one man, and it was the farmer in town sitting in the service. And so the pastor said to him, it looks like everyone has slept in. I guess, do you want to go home, or should I preach a sermon? And the farmer said, when, when I feed the chickens and only one comes, I don't give, I, I don't stop, not give him food. He said, when I go to feed the chickens and only one comes, I still feed it. And it was a lesson to the preacher. He was like, well, all right. So he preached a masterful one-hour sermon to this one man. He's like, I'm going to preach the best sermon ever. When he got done, he asked the, the, the farmer, he said, how was the sermon? I really worked on it. Did you like it? And he's like, preacher, I said when the one chicken comes, I still feed it, but I don't give it the whole bucket. <laughs> he kind of missed the point, didn't he? It wasn't about his sermon. It was about helping people get into the presence of God. And so sometimes we worry about things we shouldn't worry about. And in fact, I can tell you this, if you suffer from any worry or anxiety, if you've built cycles in your life that are difficult like that, I want you to know that God does not give us permission to go on imaginary trips into the future. The scripture tells us he's the beginning from the end. He's the Alpha and the Omega. In fact, in our text, it actually said he's the author and finisher of our faith. But he's also an ever-present help in the time of trouble. When he manifests himself, he manifests himself in our time, in our, on our clock. He's eternal, but he comes into our time, and he manifests himself. I'm not going to get too deep here, because this is supposed to be a fluffy sermon, okay? But when he manifests himself in our time, what he's saying is, I am a God of your right now. I'm going to take care of your future because I'm already there. That means he's right now there. Everywhere he's at, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. I like to put a comment in my mind after that now. Now faith. Faith for right now. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I may not see it, but what happens if we live in the future or if we live and go on trips in our mind of what may be or worry about what might happen or worry about what could happen, we take that journey alone. Because the Holy Ghost does not go with you in your imaginations. In fact, Scripture said that we're supposed to take captive every thought into the excellency of Christ. And if it does not fit the word of God, we're supposed to cast it out. In other words, what he's saying is you don't have permission to go into your future and get yourself worked into anxiety over something that has never happened yet. He cannot endorse our imaginary trips. And that's why I think we have so many people on depression drugs. That's why I think we have so many people in, in all kinds of anxieties because they're living in a fake world. They're living in an imaginary world. They're not in the real world more than they are in the fake world. And what happens 
is God cannot go there with you because his spirit is a comforter, but his spirit is also a spirit of truth. And that, my friends, is imagination. It is not your truth yet. It may become your truth if you happen to guess right, but God does not endorse your field trip into your future that builds emotions of anxiety and worry in your life over things that haven't even happened yet. Jesus is already there and my joy is already there because he is already there. And so if I live in the present, he's an ever present help in the time of trouble. Tomorrow is going to take care of itself, scripture says. Sufficient unto the day is the trouble thereof. In other words, what God has promised us is for our right now. He's got your future. He's got your tomorrow. If you will surrender control of that to him, you'll feel joy rush back in again. Because he does not permit us in scripture to go and just imagine what it's going to be like. Oh, but what if they, oh, but some people live their life like that. And that's why their emotions are a wreck. Because they're not living what's right in front of them. And the scripture I read to you today, it says, Jesus said, I gave you joy because I went to the cross for you. I died your death. I intermingled myself with your struggle so that you could have life. And so in doing so, I set the joy of the guarantee before me. It wasn't a joyous moment. He got joy from the guarantee of the outcome. And if we live for God, the scripture says that those that live for God have a good ending, regardless of how it happens. We can have, the scripture says, an expected end. That's what scripture says. We can have an expected end that no matter how I go, no matter what attacks my body, no matter where I go or how long I live, I'm going to stand with Jesus in the end and there will be fullness of joy and we will have laughter and we will have moments of great peace, not only in our life, but in the future if we live surrendered to that joy concept. The perception is always the problem. What you're perceiving God to be will shrink your problems. I used to drive into D.C. because we lived there for a while, and I could put my thumb up and make the Washington Monument disappear. You want to know why? Because I was so far away from it. My thumb could make the Washington Monument disappear. But when you got close to it, you couldn't see the top. And that's how it is with God. When we drift from the Lord... Our problems are easily making him disappear. But when you get close to the Lord, when you're living in that place of joy, that overflow, and he's your source, he is so big, problems just fall away. And that's where we want to live, is that the joy he set before him, that's what you have to do, brothers and sisters. Joy is a focus before it is a feeling. I promise you, if that's all you hear today, you got your gas money by coming. Joy is a focus, not a feeling. 
And you don't focus, you don't get more joy by focusing on joy. You get more joy by focusing on what God is doing, the blessings of what God is doing. I have more people tell me that I, I have to do this or I got to do this. And if you take it as a financial term, you understand that there's income and expenses. And if, if you can flip the flow, if you can take things that are expenses and realize that those are actually income, if you can move them from one column to the other, you actually can increase your joy and therefore understanding that your life right now, if you can remove the things you say you've got to do and change them into things that you get to do, you will see more joy from your life you're living right now. In other words, you will get more joy out of life if you look at it as these are things I get to do. I get to invest in my kids. I get to invest in my future. I get to invest in my 401k. I get to invest in things. If you change your speak, you'll change your feelings. Amen, somebody. And that's what's important. I have a lot more, but I'm going to go on because I think we're right there and almost done today. I know that God has spoken to me about this because if we surrender to him what we have, he becomes our refuge and strength. And so then he becomes an ever-present help. Would you stand with me? We have to get honest with God. He doesn't expect us to get it right, but he does expect us to get honest. Amen? And you may be at the, at the moment of your journey, and I'm not knocking it, where you come and you get filled up with God. And they're like, I, I, I'm busy. I've got a lot, a lot of things to do. And you carry your vessel full out into your week. And you're like, thank you, Jesus. I love you, Lord. But there comes a point where you stop worrying about what you can hold and who you're holding to. Where you set down your capacity and you say, it's not what I can do. I don't control the outcomes anymore. But I'm connected to the one who can fill me at any point, any time. Musicians come. We want to rejoice in the Lord today as we finish. And, and I'm so grateful that there's joy in this house and there's something that can happen so beautifully when we give our, pres give our life and to the presence of the Lord. And there's something that takes place in James when he said, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. When you start to live, it didn't say... <laughs> it doesn't say for us to think that we can live in joy without the Lord. It doesn't say that. It doesn't just say, oh, just get happy and joyful. No, he said, count it as joy. Put it in the income column. Put it in the column of happiness for you and joy for you that whenever you have troubles and difficulties, knowing that those things that try your faith work with patience, and that patience while you're waiting on God, just do what waiters do. Serve him. Just serve the Lord with gladness. Serve the Lord with gladness. Just keep serving him. And eventually, that patience will have his perfect work that ye may be perfect entirely, lacking nothing or wanting nothing. Whenever you are waiting on God to do something for you, you can either wait like this or you can let patience have its perfect work and count it a joy, and you can then have this. Amen? And that's where you want to live, is in that full 
place of joy. I'm learning joy. I'm learning it every day. I'm learning how to embrace it. I'm learning how to choose the things that bring joy. One of the things that bring joy in life is keeping sacred things sacred. One that brings joy in life is keeping beautiful things beautiful. Amen? If you buy a beautiful home, you work on it and you keep it beautiful, that will bring you joy. If you have sacred things, our body is the temple of the Lord's, you keep that sacred and it'll bring you joy. Amen? There's joyful things that come from doing things God's way. Amen? And so we want to celebrate the Lord because Psalms 45 and 7, I love this scripture and I want to end with this. Thou loveth righteousness and hateth wickedness. This is David talking to the Lord. Thou lovest righteousness and hateth wickedness. Therefore, God, thy God, has anointed thee. Everyone say anointed thee. With oil of what? Oil of gladness. It's the same word, basically. Above thy fellows. In other words, he says, when you live righteously, God will anoint you above others with an with an anointing of gladness, an anointing of joy. When people ask you, you'll be like, I'm blessed and I can't help it. <laughs> I have joy in my heart. I'm excited about what God's doing. I can't even tell you what it's like to have my kids living for God. I can't tell you what it's like to have a place to come and worship. I feel like I'm anointed above my fellows. I'm anointed above others. I feel like I have gladness more than others. He says he'll actually do that and you'll be able to recognize that David said, he said, when you loveth righteousness, God hates wickedness and he will anoint you with more gladness than other people. I'm thankful for that message, amen? Not because I want to live comparing myself to others, but I want to set the joy before me, amen? And I want to walk toward that joy. Let's lift our hands together. Let's thank God for all he's done. Come on, if you're blessed and you know it, just lift your hands together. We're going to worship the Lord together.